This episode of Super Pulp Science is brought to you by the things we make. If you want to support uh, Gregory Kamichuk, you can go to gmbkamichuk.ca. And if you think Justin Curry is just all right, you can go to chasingartwork.com. Attention, citizens. It's time for Super Pulp Science. This is Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. I am GMB Kamichuk. Gregory, to my friends, I am normally joined by Justin Curry, known the world over as Chasing Artwork, but he is currently chasing down insurance for an event that we're holding uh, this week. So in his place, I have brought onto the podcast none other than Dr. Jonathan Ball, who comes and joins us all the way from his own podcast, Writing the Wrong Way. He's made a difficult um, and strenuous journey to be here. Yes, across the room, one end of the room to the other. And also, producer extraordinaire Dan Vadabunker, thank you for waiting way too long before we started That's okay. Recording. I was here early. It was, it was my fault for me. I thought I could get here early and get it out of the way, and then no, that didn't happen. No, no. <laughs> we just, okay. just this disappointment. So if you are joining us for the very first time here on Super Pulp Science, we are uh, working creatives who make stuff up, write it down, illustrate it, bring it to market. Sometimes we succeed, sometimes we fail, and we tell you all about it here on the show. And that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about today, Jonathan. The notion of, and by the way, in the interest of full disclosure, Jonathan and I are working on a comic series for Heavy Metal called The Eye Collector, which we are co-plotting, he is writing, and I am illustrating, and um, a number of other projects which we'll get to, but that is what gives him the right to be here on the show today. (laughs) Jonathan is a uh, prose writer, a screenwriter, a comics writer, a poet, and a logistical wizard in many respects. He has been both publisher and published, and I think that it's really important um, if you're in a creative role to think about where you fall on that and whether you want to do all of it or just some of it. I think that's a great point, and it's something that I bring up a lot when I'm talking to people, and people or people want to talk to you about self-publishing. Um, so a lot of times people will say this to me, they'll go like, Hey, you know, I'm a writer and you know, I want to, whatever, um, you know, I'm really interested in writing fantasy or whatever it is. They go, Hey, uh, I want to get into self-publishing. And I, I stopped and I go, are you sure? Because keep in mind that's, that there's nothing wrong with getting a self-publishing. I like self-publishing fine, but it is publishing. It's not writing. A lot of people think it's writing. You know what I mean? Once you're in there, you're now a publisher. You're doing the things a publisher does. So again, that's fine and everything, but it is a confusion that a lot of people have, like whether they're, they don't, they don't often think about the business side of it, uh, of like that creative pursuit. And there's a degree to which some people do and some people don't want to have control over that business side of the pursuit. If you don't want control over the business side of their pursuit, then you should stay away from things like self-publishing. On the podcast, Justin and I have often encouraged the listener to just do it themselves if they feel. And so I, I think here. it's a good advice. Do you think so? Do you, but, but here's why I think it's good advice. I thought you would be the voice of reason. I think it's good advice because you real quickly figure out what it is and whether you want to do it or not. 
Okay. I always think about when I was doing directing a little bit, like I was doing some film directing, and I, you know, you're just kind of indieing it. You're doing it all. It's you know, it's it's a real jumble. Then I kind of got a job as an assistant director on a set, and I was like, yeah, I can do that, no problem. I didn't know what assistant director was, but I took the job and I was like doing it. It had director in the title, so you thought, yeah. I was like, me. oh well, you know, whatever, it. I'll do that. Anyway, um, and I just wanted to help my buddy, who's the director out, you know, who, who's like a friend of mine and, and a, a director I really admired. Plus For the I just dear listener uh, who's interested in independent film, assistant director usually means but deal but, with all the problems. Well, this is the thing I didn't realize. So, like, what I learned uh, eventually, like, a couple of days into the shoot, I realized, oh, my God, this is everything I hate about making films in one job. And so I, I just kind of, from that day, I was like, one, I'm never going to do this ever again. And two, if I ever make a film again, I'll hire an assistant director. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. But, so I, what I like about the DIY approach, because I'm a real DIY guy at our heart too, is like, I think it's good for people to just throw themselves into it, do it all, try it all out, and then get a sense of it and get a sense of what they want to keep doing and what they want to never do again. So <laughs> self-publishing is like that. It's like taking over the assistant director's job of all the problems. It's everything bad about publishing in one job is self-publishing. Yeah, right? there's a good side of it too, there's like a great making side. money. Yeah. But um, you know, there, there's there's the risk of money even, uh, like the, and just the logistical So this is things. a perfect segue because Justin has just arrived. So when it talks about taking risks at self-publishing, Justin had a great job. He had the job everyone wanted. He got to make art and conceptual art for a video game company. Why would you throw it all away to go and make your own studio? Justin, thanks for coming on to the podcast. Sorry we sent you into the lion's den. I'm here. Made you made it. That is a good question, though. Why, why did you throw it all away to do what, you know, again, the, the job that a lot of many people would want to build toward? Yeah, I didn't go from concept art to publishing. I went from concept art to... Um, Artist Alley selling posters of my work. And it wasn't until later that I got into publishing, and now that's more of a piece of, of my pie. Um, but one day, I just kind of, I sat down. Nobody told me that this was a job. Nobody, I don't think it was a job yet. But one day, I sat down, and I did the math of what I had done at Comic-Cons last year, and then did a projection of, like, if I do those same cons and add a couple more, like, this number's much bigger than my actual job. Why the hell... Am I killing myself doing two jobs at once right. when one fulfills so many more things than the other? Like, not that video game concept art was amazing, but it wasn't my own stuff. Wasn't your idea? Your you don't vision, own the game. Or you don't own the thing. Yeah, I was basically building, like, building other dreams, right? Yeah, and like it was great, but I was all day. I just couldn't wait to get home so I could work on my own stuff. So it was like clear where the drive was going, and luckily the finances worked out with. With self-publishing, this is that main question, right? Like, okay, you want to self-publish a book. Where are you putting these 500 books, 1,000 yeah. books? Where? 10,000 books. Even if you're PODing you it, how are you going to market it? How are you going to get people to go to Amazon and buy it or whatever, you know? Because yeah, it's not just as simple as you put it up and it flies off the shelves. Spoiler like, that's alert, like, if you are listening and you're like, oh, they're going to give us the answers to all of these yeah. things. <laughs> we don't have them either. We have only ways in which we have tried, failed, and tried and succeeded. And there is no magic bullet. There's no formula. Ignore all of those videos that are being offered to be sold to you that says there's a five-step 
um, system to get your book on well, the bestseller list. Anyways, Gregory, let's pretend like you just quit well, your day job okay. and you are publishing a book. You have no internet presence. You have no connections with the literary world. How are you getting many those... days? That's true. Anyway, even yeah. now, <laughs> you know, but it's not that it's not. There's not a formula. It's just that you don't always know what other variables are involved. Like you do know the formula, right? Like in a sense, like you, you produce it, you put it out, you market it, you get it. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's steps, but the question becomes, will they work? <laughs> yeah. Like even Disney doesn't know how to have a hit every time. Stand by Lee. I can have help in a minute. Leave him alone. He'll be alone up there. You know, I love space stuff. I love rocketry. I love the story of NASA. I'm not one of those people that knows every date and every moon landing and every astronaut, but the all the moving parts that go into getting something into orbit or you know, like a seven-year plan to send something to be in one place in our solar system at the exact moment where it can do what it's supposed to do, that kind of stuff really excites me. And I think when you mentioned variables, that is something we could talk about with some cogency here on the show today. We could list those variables for the dear listener that they should try to consider. I think what you kind of get into more than anything is you don't necessarily know what will work every time, but you know what won't work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like the thing, there's like a bare minimum level of things you have to do. Like you have to finish the book before you can sell someone the book, for example. Right. You got to like produce it somehow, you know, like maybe there's a better way and a worse way to market it, but you got to do something to market it. And let's, let's move from the operational definition. Let's just move from a, a point of decision where, you are not thinking about writing a book because that's the opposite of being a writer. You're not in a drafting stage. Let's only talk about it from the standpoint of I wrote a book, a comic or a graphic novel or a script. Now what? That you had enough passion to make it, but you don't know what to do with it now. Why don't we just take abuse. it, make it simpler for starters before it gets complicated? And why, why, Justin, why don't you just say like, okay, you, you made a new artwork what's the stages of okay exploiting that artwork for that artwork. yeah you finished a single illustration and you want people to see it what do you then do okay so the the first step is because i am a professional artist a digital artist and the internet is a thing i will post it and i have accounts on facebook and instagram and deviantart and reddit and Behance, Art Station, like there's there's a whole imager. Yeah, there's a whole like only fans. There's a yeah. <laughs> Pornhub, um, well, Patreon, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a whole long list of where it automatically goes out, and hopefully, like, and then I kind of like sit back and I gauge the response, and sometimes it's positive, sometimes it's lackluster, and again, comes down to the the like point in the sky, like the you might just submit to the internet on like a bad day or like an exciting news cycle where something else is going on. And I've had pieces get zero reactions and then repost it later as like a throwback Thursday or like as a collection of something else. And it gets a huge response then. So it's, it's kind of nice. Like with in, in that realm of digital, you have that chance to try it more than once, right? But it, it goes that same thing. It's and there's no rhyme or reason. I've been doing this for over a decade. I have no idea why some go viral. Okay, so and some can, do can you this, pa let's pause it for a second. I was just gonna do the same thing. Go yeah. ahead. So so just to take a simple example. So let's say you know that skull Terminator skull flower thing that you did. Just mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be that one. But you've got you made an artwork like this, 
you're posting it, these all these places, and you're just kind of getting a feel for like how people are responding to it at that point. So how do you kind of like take that, move beyond that next? Like what, what's, because the goal here, just to clarify the goal in, from a business perspective. Yeah. So forget about the art perspective for a second, but just like in terms of having a business and a career with this stuff, you, what you got to do is figure out how to take that. Um, I know this is what Gregory wants to talk about. He take that, Asset. Ass thing and make it, turn it into an asset. And yeah. so just to kind Not of Not an clear, ass thing, but an asset. Yeah, an asset. So, and then in business terms, an asset is a thing that per, uh, creates cash flow for you. So how do you go past that step? You know, but let me further clarify for the dear listener that at this point... At this point, it's liability. No, at this point, <laughs> at this point, Justin already has a system... Which yeah. he discovered a while back. It's better if we rewind for to young Justin's point of view, and I'll give young Gregory's point of view as a author starting out also, to I made a thing and I don't know what to do. What did you then do? Then now you have this network. Mm. You have a dozen places where you can get feedback. You have uh, 25 plus public events where you can bring it to and it is already an asset. Justin's already in a yeah, place none where of those things used to exist. assets do work for him the moment he's finished. But let's go back and assume you have nothing. Um, I'm not exactly sure where you're trying to, to point me here, but maybe like, for example, if you want, if you want feedback, if you want, you want engagement on your social media platforms, you need to engage in that community. When I started out, um, let's like DeviantArt was a big one back in the day, right? And it was all about you know trying to get the PC seen, trying to get comments. I was you know I wanted traction on my my artwork, and it wasn't really getting any until I really started participating in the community and like commenting on other people's stuff and engaging in forums and stuff like. Then the the community like gave back. So I think uh, a good starting off point is you can't just expect to you know throw it out there and and get all the accolades you have to put in some work in that community before the community is gonna absolutely give it back so yeah. by the time you're putting this thing out here though like have you also is this this when you're getting just the reactions like what do people think of it in a mm -hmm. broad sense is that kind of a point before you're like are you trying to judge whether or not you're going to spend more time doing things like making a canvas prints or printing a bunch off to take shows so or yeah. putting it up in your store? Or have you already done some of that stuff so, and then you're trying to get people to toward it? Or what are you kind of thinking? Yeah, like now as just a general, um, as general practice, as soon as I post a piece, I also have it available online because people are fickle and they forget things often. And if they see something they like and they can't immediately buy it, they're not going to remember to come back in a week now that it's up on my store, right? So, so really your next step is setting it up on the store yeah. and then you're posting it everywhere. But, so here's a really important thing that Gregory and I have learned from doing a lot of in-person events and posting online is reactions online versus in-person purchases have very little to do with each other. Almost no correlation. Yeah. Right. So if a piece gets like very little online traction, I actually get excited because that usually means people will buy it in person. Yeah, there's almost a reverse correlation. <laughs> so strange. If I have an image that go, you know, uh, Justin goes viral regularly, but if I have an image that seems to move the needle and I'm like, "Ooh. Oh no. Damn." <laughs> right? If online everyone loves it, in person they almost is, ignore it. Why outright. do you think that is? It's built out of light versus Physical? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't have it 
figure it out. We don't know the reason, but, and we have seen many times, and we have talked anecdotally many times on the show about people with a huge internet following, millions of followers who show up and table beside us and will, you know, as nobody's outsell them 10 to 1. Well, let's talk about a basic kind of problem you get into then, because, so so you get into the inventory question. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're going to, you, so, you know, you're making the thing digital on your computer, you're posting it, you know, you're putting up on your store, all that stuff, you don't actually have to make anything at that point. Like, you could put it on your store and never pr produce any unless somebody if buys no, it. Yeah, if nobody buys now, it. I know right. you often don't do that, but, like, um, you know, how do you make, the, but if you're going to go to a con and try to sell canvases or prints or whatever, like, you got to make those things, and you got to, and if they don't sell, like, you're out, like, you've, you've sunk money into the inventory, you got to move it around, maybe you're damaging it as you move it around, and, you know, or whatever, you know, like, or you just, you would rather have brought something that would have sold versus the thing that didn't sell, right? So how, how do you kind of manage figuring so out what you print? So here's the thing that many creative people find distasteful, but you're just going to have to get over it. You're going to have to start calculating things like cost per unit and opportunity costs and show costs and have a budget for your time and your money just, just and your cash flow. Just go and see what other people are selling but things just wait. for. It used to be that you could get a $40 table at a show and just mm -hmm. have at her. Those days are done. So you want to visit a few Comic-Cons, see how it's done. See who is like you at those shows. And then go up to the table and talk to them like a human being and say, I am like you. I so, want to do this. Yeah, is this notes. worth it? What are the things you wish you had known? And if their art is like the, it speaks to you, in the same way you think your art will speak to someone else, they're a good person to give you advice. I can't ask Justin for direct advice on how my artwork will sell using his method because our work speaks to very different demographics. So it's only someone who is doing work like Justin will his, will his advice directly correlate. I spent years thinking of myself taking that trip. So in publishing, <clears throat> what we often call this is comparables. And I, I often will advise like kind of, you know, authors when they're trying to figure out what they should be doing on the marketing front, I'll, I'll like ask them to think like, well, what are your, or even if they're trying to pitch to publishers or whatever, like I'll ask them, well, what are you like the comparables? Like, so you go best back to your question, like who yeah. has, who's the kind of writer that's like who you want to be, both in terms of like the actual work they're producing and in terms of like the career that they have. You know, you could do a lot worse than just figuring out, like, who are the comparable authors, like the people you're going to be naturally compared to. Because one, theoretically, their audiences would like your work. Uh, but two, like, um, you know, they've got publishers, they've got agents, they've got a network already. Like, they've got the infrastructure that you don't have yet. Um, maybe, you know, that's the same infrastructure you should be trying to tap into or build or connect to or Another, even like, just, you know, become a engage in that community like you were saying yeah. and speaking of that i just wanted to like throw in this quick point about if you find a comparable artist you find a comparable um company product blah 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 blah. the great thing about the internet now is we have timelines of stuff mm -hmm. so if you find a comparable and i was doing this a lot with um like my last kickstarter and last book i would find comparable books and look at big companies how they advertise leading up to the launch during the launch after the launch like look i could basically you know take notes on their strategy of the marketing and apply it to my own because it's a similar product. So I just if you're doing stuff like that, 
take notes from some somebody yeah, or even just ask them. them if you can get access to if the person you, can, yeah. you know like not always like, yeah if somebody's got is drawing like justin you could do worse than going up to justin's table and saying hey you know which of these things actually sells <laughs> don't ask don't, don't ask, don't him ask that. Him. but like yeah, you know but that. you know but you know what i mean like like theoretically like if you had access to like you know what should i do like i've got but these it, 10 things what I should will, i do i'm gonna qualify justin's i hate that don't ask that <laughs> no but it, but it, is it depends we'll bring says. like i can ask i'll speak only for myself if i have a full catalog of say 100 pieces and i brought it to a show and someone comes up and says which is your best seller my answer is what city am i in sure right because i have a full catalog that sells differently in every city but the cost of time to bring a different catalog to every city isn't worth it to me it's better to bring the full catalog a little bit of everything and sell out of some things in that city which is what happens but if i'm on the road i know i still have enough for the next city i'm in which has a different vibe and you learn that only by doing it that is the only way to learn it you can't guess judge or whatever you have to do it so start small start with someone who's similar get a table at a show get a table at a market get a website get whatever you want and try to sell 10 if you're just starting out try to sell 10 of any one thing and, and you will learn so much and don't about what your skills are <laughs> <Yeah>. yes <laughs> right don't print a thousand try to sell 10 and those of you who are doing self-publishing will say, well, how could you possibly have a cost per unit? You can't. You can't. Your first year or your first couple of years, are you figuring out what works? Which means you exactly that. That's why I hated your uh, equation that you started saying about yeah. like the time you put in and the cost. cost per unit, but you have to know what that is. You do. Sure. But if you actually apply that to your product, which sucks because it's your first time right. out, nobody's touching so that fifty dollar so print. Look at it like this. So if you Let's say if your goal is to sell only 10 of something, because you're just starting out, you're just new, you're fresh, you're, you're, you're just an artist and you just want people to give a shit. That's it. Does anyone give a shit? And your goal is to just sell 10 of one thing. Then you may lose money on those 10 things in order to print them big enough that people will notice, put them in enough places that people will notice. But the movement will give shape to form. In the effort of figuring out how to print them large enough, figuring out what it costs to print them, figuring out where to print them that's convenient to you, figuring out what shipping costs to get them to you, figuring out how you're going to logistically get them to a show, you will learn something much more valuable than whatever you earned from those 10 pieces. And that you will now apply to your cost per unit, your cost for time, all of those things that help make the business run. You can only learn by failing at it a whole bunch of times. And how someone takes a five by or a, a four inch by six inch book in boxes to shows is different than someone who takes 12 by 18 print. So it's not a one for one, right? Yeah. And you got to be clear on your, like, your goals and your expectations. Like, so, so you mentioned like cost per unit and kind of uh, figuring out some of these things. So one of the things that uh, I've been doing recently is I did a Kickstarter for this book comic called she will for the first issue of she will which she illustrated yes and so i'm you know after we're done this i'm going to start packing up the packages to ship out to the kickstarter backers and then i got you know uh, another hundred of like a normal non-kickstarter edition that i'm going to be selling varied places now my cost per unit on those is too high mm-hmm uh, but the reason that it's too high is because I'm trying, I explicitly like added some bonus material pages. 
I added like some just kind of ads for other things I'm doing or even for things you guys are doing. And like, you know, I would have to, to get it at a reasonable price point where I'd actually be making a decent profit on the thing at some point, I'd have to scale the pages back. I'd have to do certain other things, but like, I don't really need, want to make money on that thing right now. I just, am trying to get it like out there and get kind of use it as like a way to kind of get some, you know, like a, like an audience building system. So I'm trying not to lose money rather than make money and just kind of focus on more audience building and getting like my stuff out there a bit more. Let's, uh, let's which, not forget that even five years ago, being able to print She-Wolf on the quality with the paper stock and everything as a short run it would, would have insane. not been possible. Not even too expensive. Actually, physically impossible because you couldn't print comics that way. And even just Kickstarter, doing a Kickstarter to yeah. offset the initial so, investment uh, costs to like build it up. So technology has given us things like Kickstarter websites and reach. It's given us the ability to do short run printing that is of a quality that is spectacular. And it gives, we have now the ability to leverage all, we're standing on the shoulders of those giants who have made it possible for us to try stuff. And so if you're talking to a big old school publisher and they say, don't get into self-publishing, that's because they're used to moving 10,000 to 50,000 units. That's not you when you're starting out. You're trying to sell 10 of something. Yeah, or like in my case, I'm gonna, I want to sell 100 of those. But when I sell 100, at that point, I've, I haven't lost really money. But watch, 10 and of something. Then I know if I should do more. 10 of something times 10 events or 100 events. Yeah. And you're doing great. That's what I'm saying. You want to have... Nice, low expectations that over time build up. And if your cost per unit is right, you can afford it. Yeah, for me, like, again, like, I've got a real clear expectation and a real clear goal with it. I'm not, I mean, I know it's not going to make me crazy money. It literally can't mathematically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mathematically, the best I can do at this point without sinking more money or time or whatever into it Mathematically, the best I could do is I don't lose money, but that's fine because it's, it, I'm not doing that with everything. And this right? is why I'm I made doing that the, right here as this experiment. So this was the statement I made, which I think Justin implicitly understands whether he um, overtly carries it out. The notion of opportunity cost. Yeah. For you not to have done a really luxe, awesome edition of She Wolf as a person who is trying to break into mainstream comics would have hurt you more than yeah. the dollar value that went into printing those so that they look good, they feel good, and they seem professional. The worst thing for me would be if you backed my Kickstarter and you got a comic and it was fine. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you know, like it was what you paid for. What what you what I want them to get is something above and beyond what they expected. Like it's it's a numbered signed edition they didn't expect. It's got a bonus comic in the back they didn't expect. It's got better paper stock. Like I want Hard stock people to cover, be happy yeah. ab above and beyond their expectations f with it. And then every time I hand something to somebody at a con, like an, if an editor says, oh, what do you got? And I hand it to them, they're like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's not better than I expected. Yeah. Like that's like, to me, that's worth that investment. Inside the shelter, our life support systems to maintain the astronaut for two months. And I think that's important growth. Like I love when artists I know or follow um, do something completely different that, like you said, they're probably not, they, it's a sunk cost. They're probably not going to make their, their money back on it, but it's, it's an amazing looking book or a new format of print or a weird printing technique that like 
is not cost efficient, but like, man, it's a neat experiment. And yeah, like maybe they're they're barely making cost there, but somewhere else that's where the good margin is. You're putting your fingerprint into the marketplace, right? What so every you big leave company a does, right? Like Amazon loses money on every single shipment, but like they're making money on they overcharge yeah. on servers right, so they yeah, can undercharge over, on shipping. Yeah. And, yeah. and it depends where you're at and what you're trying to do. Like like what I'm trying to do right now is as I move into comics, I'm trying to establish myself an audience built. And like so I, I'm not really trying to make money. A different person might be at the point where they've kind of done some of that and they need to make some money now. Yeah. Yeah. And this is so, this is a nice spectrum because you're breaking in and trying to show and prove, right? Justin has a um, system that he can feed. And as a result, because it's working now, he's now showing and proving in a different, he's peeled off and started the big putting, monsters fed. So now yeah. I can work on this new shiny. Yeah. Hundred yeah. pages. Just doesn't multiple. need art cred or right. like comics cred. You know, you don't need like, cred in the comics world but i do you know like like i've got some now but like comparatively i certainly don't have uh the presence or audience or anything you know i'm not at the place where your guys are at in that industry at all well and where we're at in that industry is always tenuous at best because you're always judged by your last work or your last deal or your last nda that you signed you know like these are the things that you know make or break you and so often um a person can get caught up in like for example if i had just said okay great i signed with a company i signed an nda i've got a great project i can work on i can just quietly work on that for a while that would have an enormous opportunity cost for me it would cost me too much not to also produce my own work as a short run and have it out available for editors to see and for 80% 80% of our money comes from 20% of our repeat customers. If I don't have stuff for them, I can't afford to wait a year, even though on paper I can afford to wait a year as a result of that project. I can't in my creative output. And so what that means is all the stuff I worked on just for fun, just for me, I am now printing as single issues of comics so that I can have them available at the show. So when people say, oh, I thought you'd have a new graphic novel out by now, they won't have that conversation. They'll say, oh, you have these five things. Wow. Yeah, because your biggest asset is your audience, ultimately, right? And if you lose that audience or you just don't have uh, something for that audience... I mean, you don't want to be on a hamster wheel of just, you know, trying to do what the audience wants or anything. But you do have to kind of be mindful of, like, if you're getting hired away to do things too much and you're not putting new stuff out, like, that audience will just kind of start dropping They'll off. They'll go somewhere else. Yeah. Or, it's, you know, if you even if you have a publisher in the way sometimes between you and the audience, it can be a problem. Yeah. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. And that's why I think, like, so many new authors are a little underwhelmed by the performance of their first book right oh, because yeah. they only have one a lot of like a lot of the the failures that i've seen like throughout my career is is those people who just want to make one book and never make a book again right they just want to like pump out the one and then they're done that'll be the success right my advice to those who <laughs> have happens. only one book in them like that's they just only they should self-publish yeah, that yeah, one sure. book. Yeah, just don't sink thousands of dollars. That's either. right. You don't have to anymore either. You don't have to sink. You used to have to sink tens, if not twenties, of thousands of dollars into that, and now you don't. Um, but if you have a passion to make stuff, whether they tell you yes or no, and your hard drive is filling up, if your 
artboards are piling up. If you're going to make it anyway, then you might as well submit to publishers and also do some self-publishing. Whichever ones the publishers reject. Once you get 100 rejections, publish it yourself. But if you didn't get 100 rejections, I don't think you're trying hard enough. Because there's at least 100 people out there who will tell you you're garbage, and you got to find them. Because every one of those will also help you triangulate who your audience is. Because the feedback will be, no, did you try this? No. Have you thought about these guys? No. This is not for us, but maybe them. And that will lead you on a little trail of breadcrumbs to who has the audience that matches your work. That takes like months. I want success right now. Right. <laughs> so you can compl- – if you want – do you want success or attention? And I think this is a really important thing that many authors who are interested in being authors confuse success and attention. If you just want attention, you can take a picture of your butt and put it on the internet. You'll get tons of attention. Back to your OnlyFans, right? You will anymore, right? Yeah, if you want, you'll get more. <laughs> it's too competitive. More than a picture of your manuscript. All right, but if you want success, there is no sudden success. There is only carefully manicured. Uh, curated success. You have to do it slowly. The overnight successes aren't like our friend uh, Sylvia Monero Garcia is like seen as an, an overnight success. Yeah. It's, it's being seen as an overnight success. She wrote five novels, which were all published before the big one that Amazon picked up. And oh, you know. Yeah, she's been working hard for a very yeah. long time. And she'd be the first to say, like, you know, be angry that she would be seen as an overnight success. But that is how. People want the myth of the artist as special. They want to see that myth as the reason they stay in their job because they're not as special. And so they don't want to be told, oh, I just worked as hard from uh, five to nine as I normally do from nine to five. That's not nearly as exciting as I won the lottery. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and some people do win the lottery, but again, you got to have the expectation in line with like reality on some level. And like, I just don't, I never felt like it did a service to anybody to be like stuck in the delusion land of like, Oh, this thing is going to mean this or, you know, or just like, and there's two sides of it. There's like the people who think they're going to be successful for no reason. You're right. But there's also the people who think like they're unsuccessful for no reason. Do you know what I mean? You have to separate, I think too, as a creative person, um, this work is the best you'll ever see from this is the best work I made that I can show you. And that is where I try to separate my efforts. I'm proud of the work I did, but I don't think it's the greatest comics ever made. They're the greatest comics I can make. And that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to do the best I can every time so that each time it's better. And that is all, that's all the effort I can do. Everything else is not up to me whether the audience shows up or not. Well, but but it is to some degree. Like, there's things that are up to you and there's things that aren't. So, like, what, what I mean is, like, a lot of people will get mystified by the success of others and they'll wonder why they're not successful. Mm-hmm. And it could be that their expectation is wrong and that's why they don't feel like... Maybe they are more successful than they think. But also they could just be not, uh, not successful for very clear reasons mm-hmm. that they're unwilling to see. Whether well, it's people will ask not, me things you know like, I mean? here's one that comes up very often. How do I get my books? I've self-published. How do I get my books in libraries? I will say, have you gone to 20 libraries? Yeah. They'll say, <laughs> you asked libraries. No. Have you talked to 20 librarians? No. 
Have you got an ISBN right. number for your book that a librarian can search for and then add into the libraries? No. Well, then your books will never be in libraries. Like there is not, right? there's no um, magical library fairy who floats around hoping to discover people and then order those books for libraries. She travels around with that client that wants to hire you for the huge project. Right. Make you famous. It, 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 it's like, of. Yeah. it's like, the attitude is you're right though it, it's a, I, you see a version of this attitude sometimes where it's like oh you know i was just sitting in a coffee shop and a producer come in came in and made me a movie star like yeah. that's what they think will happen on some level yeah and the, that is not happening they see as like some flaw in the industry yeah well see those movie star things and i think i even know the one you're talking about but that's those like people have already about. moved to la They've already <laughs> they're, auditioned they're spending for, 24 hours a day yeah, sitting in yeah. coffee shops. Yeah, they've already <laughs> their best. they've already um, given up on a regular job. They are going to every audition they can, and so when they're not at auditions, they're in coffee shops in towns where producers go to coffee shops, and that is what or the opportunity. Cost if I'm is, showing this right? process in my TV show or in my movie, I'm not going to waste 10 minutes showing all that hard work. I'm going to make it simple and girl and coffee shop That's found right. by this guy and now we're right into the scene where Poof. she's right engine start vibration building. but there's that mentality sometimes people have where they don't they they feel they don't really understand like and i get why they don't because it's there's a weird industry uh whether it's publishing or other art industries there's an investment inside the industry in trying to keep it obscure absolutely and especially in publishing, there's this investment that publishers have in making you think the authors they're publishing are geniuses and therefore they want to hide um, the process. I mean, I've never liked that and I've always... Um, a reminder that this is not a conspiracy, dear listener, no. of publishers. What happens is if you have a group of 100 people and their goals align, it will have the appearance of conspiracy. So yeah, if you have 100 is... publishers whose goals are we need to gather as much IP as we can so that we can borrow against that IP, right, as a loan, then you end up with authors who are signing away their rights constantly and getting nothing for their IP. It's not a conspiracy. It's just a, yeah, a, a aligning of people's interests. And the ones who are getting something, often, again, it's in the interest of the publisher to present that person as a genius. Yeah. And it's the interest of the publisher. And I'm not even saying that they're doing it. They may even think the person's a genius because mm -hmm. they're not seeing the person, like they don't give, they don't know how that book got written. They mm -hmm. just bought it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and so, and they're like, well, this thing's great. It's like, you, they don't, they don't buy the version that's terrible. You know what I mean? Like they just buy the good version and then they publish it. And then it's, they're like, well, we, here's a brilliant book by a brilliant person. So there's nothing like. Yeah, because you never see a book advertised as well-written. Only best-selling. Right. You know, yeah. it's never like a well-written novel. <laughs> or if it is well-written, they, they they advertise the writer as a good writer. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. they, they transfer the quality to the person because it's more marketable to From present. The writer of this past success comes this new yeah. exactly right. Yeah. And so like, you know, I understand why it happens, but what what it kind of results in ultimately is people don't understand like the work that goes into making a thing. And they don't understand like the business side of it either, because uh, it's all just obscured. 
Is it the difference between people thinking that if they get famous, they will no longer need to have a job instead of realizing that a lot of people your real goal should money. be to have a job making things? Like that's my goal is to have a job making things, to have stuff to make every year. And some of it is a success and some of it isn't a success and some of it reaches a broader audience and some of it doesn't. But as long as the total on the bottom of the line is enough that I, myself and my family can live, I consider that to be a huge success, right? Because what, it's like 2% of writers in Canada can live off their writing income. I'm not right? sure, but it's low. It's something like that, if that high, right? So keeping a consistent living wage is like the best. Whereas people we know who got huge international deals got huge payouts once, and then could never follow up that success. And so that was the end of their career. And they yeah. had to go get and, a regular and job. And they don't they, tell you yeah. that when you get that big payout once, you know, it half of it goes to taxes. Like, you don't tell you things. Well, it gets paid out in four installments. Yeah, usually. But. And half of it will go to taxes. Yeah. And then if you don't make that, you'll never get it again, right? You always get mm-hmm. lower I mean, that. Unless... Broadly speaking, that's the, for sure the case like normally. nine times out of yeah. ten, that's how it works, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, it can even, there's all sorts of weird scenarios, but broadly speaking, you know, it's not usually advantageous to take a large check. Yeah. I mean, it can be, of course. <laughs> but what's more sustainable is like smaller checks over time, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, but a lot of people just have this, they just have weird impressions of the industry. Like, well, and let's roll back to the 50s where, it, or 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, where publishers would build up an author's um, presence. They would let them have a couple of, mediocre sellers then they would build and build and build until there was enough of an audience to then reissue the backlist and then build and build again that time's over now publishers expect you to do that yourself and then they want to buy you with an audience because why would they buy someone without an audience if they could buy someone who has an audience and there are a lot more people on earth now than and there ever not, used to be they're not wrong so there are people with audiences they can hire you know it's you see it in hollywood with a certain chin in male leads which used to be rare, but now is common, right? Uh, Google this if you're wondering what I'm talking about. I'm not about. sure what you're talking about, right? but, but I understand what you're yeah. saying. No, but <laughs> we'll get off topic. <laughs> go down a, well, a rabbit hole. But, but what I think, though, the, the, this is all like stuff that people kind of eventually can figure out. What I find frustrating is when you ha- hit the per- find the person who's like, they refuse to figure it out. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like they have this idea that they're the industry doesn't want them and they don't even know what they're talking. They don't even know what industry they're talking about. Mm-hmm. A or good, wh- so they don't understand why the industry doesn't want them. Like understanding why the industry doesn't want you is actually really useful. Like there's reasons in certain parts of the industry don't want me. And some of it has to do with the stuff that I write and the approach that I take. But that's like the thing I can, but that's, I, I'm like a cult author in a classical sense. You right. know, like I write in a particular way it's the kind of thing that you can't really have a mainstream success doing what I do, uh, except by accident. You can't really have a mainstream success. So there's a, the strength of that is if I recognize I'm a cult author and a niche author and I'm not pursuing a mainstream success and I'm instead building an audience, uh, then I've got a connection. Like that's like an audience that has potential to really support me. Yeah, like it's an audience music. I can take from place to place. Yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's where I can do more DIY stuff or I can work with indies. 
the, the, the question you get into with me is like, well, why would you know, a large publisher want to work with me? And why would I want to work with a large publisher? And so like, there's reasons why I might want to do that or why they might want to do it. But you know, you, everyone have to approach it from like, okay, this is where we're going to go with this thing. You mm-hmm. know, like it had to be very precise, but like there's no, but where, where sometimes people in a position like me will be, they'll take the attitude like, well, I'm so good that I should, you know, get this. It's like, well, I realize that I'm good, <laughs> but I don't necessarily deserve that. You know what I mean? Well, here, I, I have a great example uh, from, this is a personal example, an observed uh, lived experience of an author who was at New York Comic Con. They were across the, across the aisle from me, and their book on the inside was actually, objectively, a page-turner. Really good novel. But it had the worst cover you could imagine. Just so amateur. The writing was amazing, and the graphic design and the cover was so lackluster. And I watched this person. They did everything right. They were asking people to pick up the book. They were asking other people for feedback on the book. They were asking, and New York Comic Con, P.S., is full of editors and publishers, and if you want the harsh truth, you can ask for it and you will get it. And they were getting it, and I was across the aisle listening to them get it. And like 25 different people told them who are in the industry. You change the cover? Change the cover. You will sell your book. They're like, why is my book not selling? They're like, the cover is terrible. And they said, well, I made the cover. I want to keep it. There you go. So fine. But just acknowledge it. That, yeah. That's what's happening. If instead they had said from industry professionals, if they had said, okay, well, then I should hire a different, I'm clearly a good writer and a bad graphic designer, right? You have to sell your strengths and buy your weaknesses. And I think a lot of people forget that, right? Well, and just the self-awareness. Like, you know, I could do X, Y, and Z and be a more marketable, more mainstream writer, but I don't want to. Yeah. So that's fine. Because I won't do it, I don't expect those mainstream successes. Yeah, there's a cause and effect relationship yeah, between and your I'm, choices. I'm, yeah. you know, it's not that I would instantly get them but like i i know what the weaknesses and strengths of what i'm doing is yeah we've been cracking the kickstarter code and we won't discuss it too uh too much here but there's a certain kind of cover that you can have in the comics market right now which i am qualified to create but as you have previously said i don't want to so yes i would sell more copies if i had a cover like that but i don't (laughs) want to so i don't want to hitch my uh, wagon up to that star at all and so you live with the results that you've chosen. Shaking badly. I don't, uh, can't tell if she's going to hold together. Hang on! I'm not mad no one's giving me Spider-Man. Like, I know why they're not giving me Spider-Man. Yeah. Not that I wouldn't do a great Spider-Man. And maybe one day, you know, I could slot in to do a cool Spider-Man miniseries, but do you know what I mean? Like, I, I get why it's not coming my way. Right. And I don't expect it to. And there's nothing... Marvel's not dumb because they won't hire me to do Spider-Man. And there's a separation. See, what we're doing here is we're intentionally not talking about the artistic merit of the work because the assumption is it had artistic merit and that's why you made it. It had to you some artistic merit and so you made it. But now that you made it, what do you do with it? That's what we're getting at. Yeah, and so like I, I I'm I, I don't know. like I have a different attitude towards it perhaps than some people because... I'm very um, about the idea and like, where does the idea want to go? Mm-hmm. And I want to go to the end of the idea. 
and is the kind of way I like to phrase you it. You and I are similar in that way. Yeah, and yeah. so, I, you know, at a certain point in that, I kind of start to, you, you because I have an education in the industry and stuff, there's a certain point in the project where I'll, I'll kind of realize the things I could do to make it more marketable. Yeah. And, you know, it's not that I'm against that necessarily, but it's just like, you, you start to see where you could turn it, and you start to see where it could go, but then you also kind of have to, you also start to realize like where it's, it wants to go is not necessarily in those places, you know? And so you, you almost get into a discipline of like, for me at least, I kind of have to like be very disciplined about making sure the thing goes where it wants to go and not so much where I want my career to go, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. And if the two things line up, that's great. Uh, but I, I have to be very disciplined about it. So like with the She Wolf project, for example, like, I know that like it's a much more vicious than I would make it if I was trying to make it more marketable. Does that make sense? Totally. As the person who illustrated it, I can say yes. Well, I even know your exact- art style. So I was yeah. getting feedback on pages at one point from people, and they were saying like, you know, this guy's really great at like this weird ethereal thing. He goes, but you know, you know, I can't follow the plot so much. And I was like, well, I got two. I mean, I could fire you. I could ch- make it more plot focused. Um, but ultimately like, I like the ethereality. So I started just, okay, I'm going to rewrite this. I wrote, I threw my script out instead. And I was, I rewrote the script to kind of lean more into the ethereality. And then I kind of put a couple anchor places for the story too. Uh, and I made you write at least two pages where just people are talking over coffee, you know, (laughs) like I, I, I forced a couple of grounding points. Yeah. But I mostly what I did was I leaned in. I was like, okay, well, what if I just lean more fully into what Gregory is good at? You know, that's usually like part of the formula of any big success is trusting your gut and going in this direction, not having the exact roadmap of every other success in the industry and trying to follow it verbatim and not like, oh, this would be cool, but you know what? That's not what. Mm-hmm. Ghostbusters did so we can't do that yeah, we totally. have to follow what the industry well, standard I, is I have this um, so in the last couple of years my portfolio was kind of divided into three sections and the lowest selling like a third of the portfolio I'd bring on shows was my weird pulp art but it's the one that I most enjoyed making and so I wouldn't even though there were other ones there were other sort of uh, selections that were vying for control. It's like, well, based on how well these sell, maybe I should dump this. And instead I was like, will I be happiest to do the work if I drop? No. Instead, what I did is I pivoted completely to make the whole brand focused on that weird art. And as a result, that's what people come for now. They've recognized, it's been there long enough, like five, six years I've had it. And now that I've leaned all the way into it, now people are seeking it out as the thing I do, right? And so if there's a thing in you to make that's going to make you happy to make, not one of those hours feels like work, doesn't feel like stress, doesn't feel like anything. And so what is the cost to you to switch and only make stuff you think will sell? That cost is too high for me. Maybe you were just ahead of the trend as well. Like people hadn't, that wasn't the thing that was in vogue yet. Right. And suddenly, you know, like you were just ahead of things. Yeah. And I found my people. I did the uh, punk rock flea market just recently. And, you know, they thought they would get 300 people. They got somewhere between 1,200 and 1,500 people showed up. And 
my goodness, I was swarmed. Like I had, I saw people who saw in my work everything I wanted to be seen in the work. And there was no upsell. There was no talking about it. They would just see the reference. They would talk to me about the reference and they would want it to, like, it's so gratifying to find your people. But you can't if you don't finish, which comes us right back around to the beginning. We're not talking about why to finish your work or how to finish your work. You've finished it. Now what do you do with it? You got to keep putting it in front of people. Well, and, and even just find your people. Like, what are the ways, like, who's who are the authors like you? Who are the artists like you? Where are they? Who's publishing them? What cons are they going to? What table, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. where where are the peop- magazines they're in? Like, you know. What's just, a magazine? Well, or, well, like, I was just thinking, like, heavy metal magazine. Cause, you know, I was like, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I was, like, thinking, like, like how, how do you kind of get um, as much as possible, like, kind of figure out where your people are, as you say? Because it, a lot of times the people will fixate on the obvious markers of success. So, like, they're in the comic industry, say, and they think, oh, well, you know, I, I should try to, you know, get hired as a writer on Spider-Man, just to take that example. Yeah. And, like, you know, it's not that that's a bad idea, but it's, like, again, is that the path that you should be going down? You know, yeah. like, it may or may not be. Because if traffic's what you want, you can go to a garden center show. You can book a booth, at a, and they have enormous traffic, bigger sure. traffic than uh, most Comic-Cons, these garden center shows. But, but that's your not people? your people. They're not going to buy She-Wolf. That's not going to buy She-Wolf, and they're not yeah. going to buy weird pulp art. You know, we've, we've tried that. We've gone to holiday craft sales. Yeah, we tried. Yeah. We did a year where we... It's worth trying, right? Where we yeah. cleared out a section of our schedule and said we're going to experiment with these, what was like five, eight shows. A couple, yeah. And we saw, we saw the art tables the art booths vendors that were doing well and we recognized if we want to succeed in this realm we need to redesign and look like those guys That's but right. ultimately we didn't want to do that yeah. we didn't want to be those guys good but... in an infinity scarf no, no right and so we decided those were not our markets but when we found our people at those markets we seemed to them like the experience was like they were clinging to a life raft in the market they're like oh my gosh you're here oh amazing now let me back it up for a second and say like i could do something really good with spider-man and if they wanted (laughs) to take spider-man okay if you're listening but but if they wanted to take spider-man in my direction that's the question i guess i don't own spider-man so there's no point in me pursuing it on a certain level right they'll find you they'll find me if they if they want me and i'm out there enough like if i'm doing the shield if i'm doing a bunch if i'm doing my own thing enough and they're like okay he's got a thing they can decide they want that thing now but there's no point in me forcing my thing on them a publisher or an industry <laughs> yeah, bad phrasing, right? yeah well i was just gonna gloss you know over I mean, it but though? you brought the spotlight on it if any industry that has a quarterly report to generate is only going to reach out to people who are going to move the needle on profit and that is just the harsh truth so if you have not already built up a way for them to be more profitable with you than without you, you're not going to get that phone call. And that is just the harsh facts. Since you're not getting that phone call, but you also want to make art, guess what? Technology has reached a place where you can, you don't have to reach 100,000 people to be profitable. You can reach a few hundred or a thousand or a few thousand people and be profitable and still make your next thing and your next thing My and last your next thing. podcast, uh, the guest is Ryan North, who writes Fantastic Four right now. 
and he's done a bunch of other stuff. But he's, he has worked for Marvel. He's writing Fantastic Four. And, um, Dear listener, that started, is writing the wrong way, if he, you're trying yeah, to find it. Yeah, writing the wrong way. So this was the Ryan North episode, if you want to hear more about this particular thing I'm talking about. But, but he broke into comics um, with, he wrote, his first comic it was the Adventure Time comic. Um, and the reason, way he got the Adventure Time comic job is he had been doing like this web comic called Dinosaur Comics for like 10 years. And just one of his fans became an editor <laughs> and like was like, hey, let's just ask that guy if he wants to do Adventure Time Comics. Like that's how he broke in. Because he had been doing his own thing yeah. for years and years and years. Yeah. He had been building an audience. And then his, and then like, again, it's he, not he people you know that get you the job. It's people you know who know what you can do yeah. who get you the job. And they're like, he had never done a comp before, but like he had the voice that they were like, we want this thing to go in that direction. You know, you've got the voice to match it. So then they pull you in, you know? And that's the sort of... Um, and then once you're kind of in there, you got a bit more flex maybe to kind of like... Now, eventually he got the position where he can be like, okay, I want to take Fantastic Four in this little different direction. Um, because opposed, now they know what he can do. Yeah, as opposed to like, you know, you match it. But like sometimes you're kind of in that position where like they're pivoting in a direction, they can pull you along or they want something you've got or whatever. But for the most part, like you can't design that kind of thing. Like you kind of have to be doing your own thing and figuring out what works for you. And then maybe you get these opportunities to match up, you know. Okay, then as a final thought for today's episode, let's imagine that you have a nine-to-five job and you need it to pay the bills, and that's great. We've all been there. We've all done it, and it's necessary. And sometimes it's even a job you like, so it's not so bad. Then from five to nine, there's something you want to do. You have to finish that thing. You have to finish it and then start showing it to people as a way to get that next step in your career. Talking about writing isn't writing. Talking about publishing isn't publishing. Um, Talking about taking books to shows and getting them in library is not the same as going to libraries and going to shows. And you have to switch the verb from talking to doing. And ending on a positive note, like you mentioned earlier, Gregory, we are in a time now where printing your book has never been more accessible and cheaper than ever before. That's right. You can print... 10 to 50 copies and try it out. Yeah. That is that even five years ago, that was a tough thing to, to manage. Yeah, absolutely. So I will say this then uh, before we wrap it up, if you are listening to this episode and you want to reach out to us in some way, you can uh, find us on social media. You can find us on our websites. We'll tell you everything we know. All the printers we know, we'll send you the list. All the ways that we do it, we'll send you the list. We are not interested in keeping secrets from people who want to try things. We're not going to hold your hand to do it, but we'll send you the you links to how to look it up yourself. Social security number, and yeah. home address. <laughs> yeah, home address, social security number, security number. just, just reach out. The list. This has been Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. This is Gregory Kamichuk encouraging you to join the fight and make comics. Mm.